Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Buddy Hawkins. Buddy Hawkins is a professional team roper and currently preparing for his second Wrangler National Final Rodeo appearance here in the next couple weeks. Now back in 2013, Buddy had the opportunity to rope in his first Wrangler National Final Rodeo with Drew Horner. Drew is a previous guest of ours in episode 9 and we have to thank Drew for putting us in contact with Buddy. Throughout this episode, we talk with Buddy about preparation, the importance of life balance and the longevity of a rodeo season, and how adversity is often accompanied with the opportunity to grow. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Raid Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Buddy Hawkins. Buddy Hawkins, how you doing this morning? Better than great and steadily improving. How are you? Good, 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 sir. Hey, before we get into the lion's share of today's conversation, I wanted to take a second to thank you on behalf of everybody here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I know you got an extremely busy schedule going into the 2018 finals, and you're already well into the way into your 2019 season. So I appreciate you setting a little bit of time aside to, to help kind of coach us through and teach us about life. Well, thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure to be on here. I've been looking forward to it. Good stuff. So what's new? What's What's been going on the last couple of weeks for you? We're doing a lot of preparing. You know, if a guy waits until directly before the event to prepare, he's probably not ready. So I've been I've been practicing. I, I feel like I have an advantage. You know, the last time I made the national finals was in 2013, and I've rodeoed pretty much full-time for those five years. And so uh, since the Monday after the 2013 national finals, I've been preparing for the first round of the 2018 I kept thinking every year that I was preparing for the first round of that final, but that didn't work out. Um, a lot of lessons learned along the way. So I, I have a I have a really good concept, you know, much like every other team roper. I, I sit down and study every run from every contestant every year, you know, during the finals and after the finals. And half the time when I'm watching it on television, I'm videoing it off my phone so I can go back and watch it in the commercial break. But I feel like on on one hand I have an advantage there, but but I still have plenty to learn. But you know, get getting my horses prepped and and ready, so I feel like I've got the best herd um, available to me going out there and taking care of my mind and body, trying not to run myself down to my last thread of of energy and uh, keep myself in good shape. Just uh, trying to make all the all the right decisions from from diet to uh, rest. It's incredible the the journey and life balance, right? Especially. I think folks that are type A personalities or people that are, you know, kind of ultra competitive, maybe a difficult time learning life balance. And I think it plays more of a role in your success than focusing on any given talent or profession. You know, obviously for you, it'd be team roping, but it doesn't matter what, it, you know, whether it's baseball or, or you're an attorney or whatever, taking care of yourself, staying rested, eating right, sleeping right. I mean, it, it plays a huge, huge role in, in one success. I wanted to touch base. You'd mentioned the 2013 finals. We got to we got to say a quick thank you to Drew Horner for the introduction and, and putting us together so we could we could put this show and this episode together. But I wanted to elaborate. So rodeo is kind of a unique sport where your season starts in October. However, the finals from the previous season aren't until December. So 
how do you manage the balance between working into your, you know, five, six weeks into your 2019 season, yet you still have 2018 finals to prepare for? How do you formulate or manage that balance? I learned a long time ago, when you get toward the top of, of a sport, anything really in life, um, it, it starts to become difficult. And I think this is a lot of times where people choose one of two routes and, and, uh, and they both sound negative, but I, I guess, I guess they choose one of two negative routes or a positive route. But my, my point being, um, as you, as you approach the top of the sport, um, you're going to start to see plateaus that are, that are longer and, and more, uh, I guess inquisitive, you know, there's more questions as to, am I actually getting better? Are other people getting better faster than I am, et cetera, et cetera. And so typically what guys choose, you know, in, in a negative light, they're going to choose either complacency where they, they're like, ah, I'm good enough. I'm going to just ride this out or depression to the point that, you know, well, I'm just disappointed because, you know, my body can't take it anymore or my mind can't take it or other people have more natural God-given ability than me and, and this is as good as I can get. Or you really sit down and, and, and go into the analytics of the sport um, more so into the, into the numbers really and say, okay, here's where my roping is at. Here's, here's how I'm riding this corner. Here's how I'm doing this deal. And, and I am at a higher level um, than I've ever been before, which means there's less room for improvement than there's ever been before. But I'm, I'm going to work on a, a month to month improvement or a year to year or, you know, a week to week, whatever. But, but the, the answer to your question is, I go month to month and, and you may notice in most of my posts and things that I do, um, it'll be hashtag, um, rope better. And, uh, the, the reason I started that was I wanted to, I wanted to get up, get up every day and go to work. Best advice I've had career advice in my life was, was from Cleo Brown Cooper. And that's what he said was get up every day and go to work. And I love that. Um, the spot that I ran into being competitive and, and impatient, young and all that was I would get up every day and go to work. That was no problem for me. But what was a problem was uh, I may not see a difference every day at work. I would I would get up and go to work. And at the end of the day, I'm like, man, was I better today than I was yesterday? I'm really not sure if I got 1% better. Um, and 1% is enough. 1% would have me every 30 days you know, improving by nearly a third in my ability. And, and every, every three months, um, I'm nearly a hundred percent better roper. What I have noticed was that I can get better on a month to month basis and starting to, to basically take a third person perspective on my abilities, um, is what really set me, set me in a spot where I could say, okay, I am a better roper in January than I was in December. I can guarantee you that the buddy of January could beat the buddy of December and starting to be a little bit compassionate with myself. And so in answer to your question, I, I don't I don't believe in, in off season. I know there's seasons of life that are more busy and there's seasons that are less busy. Um, but if we're doing if we're doing what we love and what we're supposed to do, then then there's no there's no time of the year that to me is is that much different than another time. And so treating the national finals the same as every other rodeo is truly impossible. There's no way that I can treat it like, oh, it's just another rodeo. But the fact is I'm applying a piece of nylon that, that very just as easily could have been turned into a pair of leggings for someone to the to the lower legs of a uh, of a farm animal. And if I can, if I can make it exactly what it is, I'm very good at that. I'm very good at applying 
nylon to the lower legs of, of a farm animal, then I know that I can do what I need to do in the Thomas and Mac in, in Las Vegas. And so the, the answer, I know that's an extremely long answer to a, to a great question, but my point is the, the rollover to me when I got done on a Sunday in Stephenville, Texas, the last year I ran of the 2018 regular season to the Thursday that I was at Hempstead, Texas, and ran the first year of the 2019 season. There was no transition really for me. It was exciting that we confirmed we'd made the national finals and such. But as far as um, where I go with the preparation and where I go with the perspective, um, it, it really did not vary. I didn't make a lot of changes going into the next season, and neither am I making major changes going into the national finals. With no change, we can't improve, so there is some change. But when we're on track, it's so natural for man when, when we're on a good track and we want to get better to think we need to change 99 things when maybe we just need to change one. Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome perspective in it. And I've always been fascinated with how people f- furnish their own success. Obviously, I've had plans and, and executions in my life that have proven successful for me, but I like to get other people's perspectives. One of the points you brought up that I like is that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know right? Because you're starting Absolutely. to chase a higher level of, of expertise. And I recently was at a clinic riding horses and and that really came to light. And we started working on some really, really finite details of, of getting horses prepared. And as you start to get towards those higher levels of success, you're absolutely right. There's less margin to see the successes, right? There's smaller victories won versus these huge improvements. And having the patience within yourself to be tolerant of those smaller successes and understanding that those small successes are just as important as as your big ones that you made early on in your career. And having that third-person perspective as you described, because when all you do is rope or when you're in a circle of people that are that are competing at such a high level, you oftentimes lose sight of how good or how successful you're being. And you have to kind of take a step back, right? And remove yourself from the situation. And I experienced it after this clinic. I had come home and was involved in an event with other quote unquote horse professionals. These folks kind of got together and started bragging on themselves and their successes. And you start to realize that, yeah, they might be decorated in their given given field, but they really don't know the first thing about about preparing animals and really working with a horse, you know? So it does take mm-hmm. that reflection. It does take that patience and tolerance of yourself. And it does take that constant pursuit of getting better. And I, I think I like the point that you make about when I played baseball growing up, it didn't matter if it was game seven of a playoffs or the first pitch that you threw going into spring training. A pitch is a pitch, right? You tow a rubber, you, you pick a spot and you hit it. Yep. However, the preparation and the execution that you apply is what helps you stay on track, right? Absolutely. So you'd mentioned it in your answer talking about kind of statistical approach and the small details in preparation. Can you kind of explain to me some of the some of the statistical advantages or places you can positions you can put yourself in in team roping to to build that success, whether it be the number of rodeos you select or which rodeos you select or setting up a run, preparing for a run, some of the things that you place emphasis on to to help you bring success and bring you focus throughout your your long career. Yes, sir. So um, I I place emphasis. I like I like that that word and that term. I place emphasis on on everything. And uh, I know in saying that, it seems like overachiever, but that's uh, not overachiever, but overreaction to scenarios. But but I, I do, and I, and I believe 
Um, that's one thing for, for a rookie or, or a beginner, someone that's, that's new to rodeo, to start to understand positioning and, and planning and travel and triangulating route during the rodeo season. You know, a, a lot of guys will go out and rodeo and, and they'll enter the rodeos in accordance with either A, the the route that they want to take, which, which makes a certain level of sense, or B, they'll enter in such a way that they go to the best rodeos um, at the end or on the best day to be at those rodeos. There's so many uh, loops and directions that can be made in, in rodeo to give you a slight advantage, whether it be, you know, taking a better go at a rodeo or, or in fact, you know, less miles on your horses, less miles on your rig, um, less miles on your mind so that you have you have more time for adequate rest and 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 being prepared you know that's that's something you know uh many times i've won major events on on zero sleep that would sometimes kind of kind of confuse me because i'd be like well man if i won this and i didn't have any rest maybe i perform better um when i'm when i'm not rested maybe kind of at at the lower level of myself i allow myself to compete better and and the fact is the the well-rested buddy can outperform the unrested buddy 90-some-odd percent of the time. Um, the situation is sometimes the unrested buddy will outperform everyone else. That was what I ran into. So so the, the point I make there is we're allowed to count 65 rodeos going into the 2019 season. So prior to entering rodeo one of the season, I had all my 65 rodeos laid out. I decided I want to count this one. I don't want to count that one, et cetera, et cetera, throughout, you know, September of 2019. And then the the way we make those choices, you know, there's probably 40 rodeos that are a gimme. Every single guy that's going to make the national finals is going to make an effort to go to these 40 events under all circumstances because these events have pay the most money. And that's, that's the number one on the list is, you know, we'll figure out a way to get to Cody, Wyoming. Um, it, it pays too much money on one go-round to skip that event. Um, on the other hand, you know, there's a few of these rodeos that are slightly lesser rodeos that are that are kind of choice. You know, you can choose this one or that one. And when it comes to that, we, we start to analyze where our herd is at, where, where our horses are the strongest. Are our horses going to be tired said week, or are they going to be well-rested? Are we going to be tired do we have to drive 12 hours one way to get to this rodeo and then pull right out and drive the exact same 12 hours back to where we were already at? So we analyze that from, from every direction. And, and I have a route that I like to run, you know, say over the 4th of July or the week after that, we'll go Casper and Sheridan and Vernal and Colorado Springs and Estes Park. And, and we have we have an idea of how we want to run off certain certain weeks and certain events and you know and sometimes you have to choose between two semi-majors uh or or at least you have to choose where you're going to have your your primary rig and your primary horses um and and so at that point sometimes you're like man i'm gonna have to skip one of these maybe it is a top 50 rodeo but i feel the need to skip this so that i can get a better go and be better better rested and cared for at this this top 20 rodeo so the 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 biggest thing for us in in our rig ahead of the ahead of being royal rested and everything is just going to be our horses. We have spots that fit our herd very well. 
we have spots that don't fit our horses as well. And, and, and by saying our horses, you know, my partner at the current time. So right now I'm roping with Lane Ivy. So we have spots that, that seem to fit our program really well. And we, we win consistently at these locations. We have other spots that seem to seem to be challenging, you know, with whether it's the head horse he's riding or the steers that we have or whatever. And, and those vary from year to year because, you know, some contractors are going to bring fresh cattle in midsummer and, and other years they'll, they'll rope the same steers all summer long. So it's, it's very much uh, uh, paying attention and, and being in the know about are they going to run fresh steers at Garden City or are they going to use the steers that they used, you know, earlier this season at another rodeo. All that experience plays in, but then, then being in the know and keeping up with what's going on at that time. Biggest thing for me is when I'm going to three or four events, I try not to zigzag between events. You know, I want to I want to triangulate my route so that I make a big loop this way or a big loop that way or a figure eight. Not necessarily, I don't want it to look like a uh, the Star of David when I get done and I <laughs> zigzag, 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 zigzag. Yeah, mess all over the country. No, it's incredible in, in listening to your explanation of preparation and planning that, I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of decisions that go into a successful season. So for you to make all those decisions correctly, right, that lead up to the finals, there's a lot of time and effort invested into to bringing that success. And as you prepare for the 2018 finals here in the next couple of weeks, can you explain to folks some of your start, right? How do, I, how do you get started in rodeo and horses? And, and as we work through the conversation, you know, we'll lead up to, to what it takes to get there to the Thomas and Mac. Absolutely. So, so for me, I was around horses as I was, as I was young. And, and one of my earlier memories of making a decision in life, my parents gave me the opportunity to play ball or have, have a horse. We lived outside town. Um, about about 20 minutes, and um, there really wasn't going to be adequate time and finances to be able to do both. We were, you know, uh, my dad had horses, and, and he roped some, and at the time, my parents were starting to homeschool all of us, and uh, so, you know, I just kind of looked at it, and I saw the opportunity to play ball, and it seemed it seemed fun, and I could be around kids my age and whatever. But with the, with the horse side of it, you know, I could be at home. My uncles rode horses, my cousins rode horses, my dad rode horses. So I chose the horse deal, which is interesting because then uh, I had a horse for a few years there. And then uh, we, moved, we moved off and lived a couple other places where we just rode once in a great while. And I pretty much lost all interest in, in the horse deal. But at 14 years old, we moved back to where we had lived just outside Sedan, Kansas again and my uncle was, was raising some horses, and he needed some help starting some colts and odds and ends. And so I went back over there, and I'd, you know, I'd kind of learned how to swing a rope without, without roping myself when I was a small child. So when I was a teenager, I, I, you know, he got back into it and got a rope and started roping the dummy a little bit, and Dad was back to roping. And so, you know, basically at 14 years old, um, we were going to a jackpot. I kind of remember the transition point for me. We were going to a jackpot, and it was like a, a three for three for 10 or $12 a man um, was the rope and, you know, pretty, pretty affordable roping at the time, which 10 or $12 was some to me. But I remember the roping paid like, uh, I'm, I'm sure it paid $212 a roper to win the roping. And I was sitting in the bleachers and dad, dad was roping in the short go around. And I just remember sitting in the bleachers and thinking, man, I am, I'm going to have to start doing this because at that time the family had two vehicles, one for the family 
one for dad to drive to and from work. At that time, I couldn't afford my own vehicle. Um, I'm 14 years old. I couldn't drive yet, but I was like, man, I'm going to have to start doing this roping thing to make some money because I, I knew I could prepare for it. And so it, it was actually all, all but a career a career choice <laughs> at that point. Uh, obviously, plenty naive to, to life and everything it had to offer. And so I decided, well, shoot, I'm, I'm going to have to do this deal for money. And and so it, it basically started being my job when I was 14. And I've, I've went on and worked everything from, from waiting tables at a restaurant to, to running a CNC machine in the machine shop and, and everything else in, in my journey, just like everybody else. But, but as far as getting started at 14, I decided that's what I was going to do for a living. And that's been my, my solo, my, my one thing since 14 was to make a living team roping. And I've, I've done it every which way from breaking colts and training horses to um, literally roping at the national finals rodeo. But for me, I'm I'm very passionate OCD and uh, obsessive <laughs> about everything that I do. So I started doing it with everything I had and got latched onto all the educational material that I could from from a backwoods um, arena in, in in central southeast Kansas to uh, to today. I mean, I'm still last night until 11 p.m. I was watching roping videos on on uh, on my phone. I think anybody that's successful in, in any given profession, you, you talk about, you know, being a, obsessive. I think you have to have that level of attention to detail because when you when you guys specifically rope at the level that you do, there is not a huge margin for error, right? We're talking about, you know, hundreds and thousands of a second separating a check and, and going home empty-handed. So on that same level, you know, everybody who ropes at the top is physically talented to a very, very high level. In my opinion, what kind of separates the good from the great once you start getting towards the top tiers is kind of mental preparations and and the chemistry of teamwork and things of that sort that that separate you know those those great from those who are just good. Can you kind of elaborate? You'd mentioned you're roping with Lane Ivy. Can you kind of elaborate on team chemistry and how that plays a role in in a team's success in going throughout the year? Absolutely, I agree with you. I know we have I know we have levels of, of God given talent and and more than more than talent athleticism natural ability whatever you want to whatever you want to categorize that as more than that is is you know uh i i so often see in proverbs when it talks about you know god giving us the desires of our heart i so often see the desires of our heart as am i desiring that in my heart and god's giving it to me or is god giving me that desire in my heart you know, and and I think it, that's such a neat question, and it's positive either way. There's not a, there's not one positive and one negative side to it. It's all positive, but the direction there is, you know, that's exactly it. And and God um, gives us that. So so the point I'm trying to get at, whether it's talent, natural ability, or whatever um, you want to look at it as, if if I thought this was a talent based or or natural ability sport, I would uh, I would have stopped a long time ago. I, I believe this is a learned skill. And and we we learn to do this, and, and skill is the application of knowledge in in whatever field. And so what what I've noticed is the the relationships and everything we build out here very much have to do with with our our passions. And by out here, I mean in the real world, and not just in team roping, but in everything. And uh, the desires of our heart very much end up being the the direction of our relationships. You know. So it's it's so neat how how people come together and and how God does that 
but team chemistry is huge. I've had all good partners. You know, I was talking about it the other day. I like to think that that God's really blessed me with a lot of amazing men to be to be my professional rodeo partners. Um, on the other hand, I, I sometimes just wonder if I'm not just so optimistic about all of them, and they're just like everybody else's. I just think they're that cool. <laughs> but uh, with uh, with Lane, um, Lane and I have have known each other for shoot, I guess probably seven, eight years. Um, you know, I don't even really remember the first time I, I saw Lane, but I, I remember one of the first times he kind of stuck out to me. I was actually roping with Drew Horner at the time. We were on our permits and we were um, amateur rodeoing a little bit and jackpotting. And uh, I remember seeing Lane at some amateur rodeos up in the panhandle of Texas, kind of up there where he's from over the 4th of July one year. And he was he was probably 17, 18 years old at the time and, and was roping real good already. But, but man, what brings what brings our team together in, in my mind um, is that we're, we're both very, we're both pretty independent. We've got a lot of confidence as, as individuals and um, we're, we're open, we're very open-minded about, about stuff. I mean, the, the exact the exact conversation that, that we would have word for word when we talk about partnership for, for 2019, you know, Lane said, well, do you, do you want to rope next year? And I said, Lane, I think I can win more with you than I can win with anybody else. And he said, well, I think I can win more with you than, than I can win with anyone else that I have the opportunity to rope with currently. You know, there's guys that, that uh, potentially heal better than me, but, but maybe he hasn't, he hasn't earned that, that partnership or whatever. And, and we're very open about, you know, if, if the opportunity came about to, to rope with one of these superstars that are, that are already achieved greatness in our sport, that we would be happy for one another if, if that opportunity opened up. But we are also on a track. Both of us are, our roping is improving. We're improving our horse herd and, um, we're getting better that we're just very open about stuff. And I think, I think communication is, is probably what has kept Ivy and I together. Our styles fit, but that's something I've said a few times. You know, when I hear guys talk about chemistry and, um, this, this guy playing with that guy, et cetera, et cetera, to me, that all comes down to skill set. If I cannot adjust my skill set to work with another header's skill set, um, then, then I don't think I'm relying on skill. I think I'm relying on, on talent and natural ability. And, and I wouldn't trust talent and natural ability to support a family. Um, I would trust skill to support a family. So I think I can adjust myself to heal well for any, any header. But at the same time as that, I do think some of my natural ability is going to make me heal better for this guy than that guy. And and so at the same time that I'm saying that, I, I do see a certain level of, of chemistry. But my point is, all the greatest guys that rope with one another win with everyone. And anytime I hear two guys talk about, well, we we did this and we did that and it just didn't work for us. I feel like that's as often, when I hear that, it's as often that it didn't work outside the arena. And consequently, you know, they, they weren't in agreement. They didn't think the same about the rodeos they wanted to go to or the amount of time they wanted to spend practicing or at home with the family. And so that, that fed into their, their confidence and their emotions inside the arena. But I believe you can take any of the top 25 guys in the world, put them with any of the top 25 guys in the world, and they're a top 25 team in the world. And so Ivy and I, the thing that lines up really well for us, we look at a lot of stuff similar, and we we accept one another's differences 100%. If I'm like, man, I don't want to do this deal, he's 100% fine finding a healer 
that does want to do it or skipping it, and I feel the same with him. If he doesn't want to go to Reno, Nevada, which he always will and I always will, but if he doesn't, I'm 100% fine finding a different partner to go to Reno or skipping the rodeo and starting that next week. And he's the same way, and and we're understanding, and and we're at similar we're at similar points in life. Um, you know, I'm a little bit older and a little bit further into my life, but we we're compassionate and understanding. And and Ivy is is a, a very uh, is a very open, straightforward guy. Um, some people think that that's uh, politically incorrect. Um, I feel like in most nations, you can say what you want, and in America, we're supposed to say what we're supposed to say. And uh, Ivy, Ivy, and I communicate very, very open for them. And so I, I would say the communication is what is what sets us apart. We can sit down and say, "Hey, I don't think this deal is working for the team." And you know, neither neither of us take offense. Not not that we never get offended, um, but if we do get offended, you know, I believe that Ivy wants what's absolutely best for me. He wants to see Buddy Hawkins's career go go well. And I want what's absolutely best for him, and I want to see his career go well. And and versus just me being out there looking out for Buddy and him being out there looking out for Lane, um, we we look out for one another. And and I think in any partnership like that, I've had so many partners, so many great partners. Drew Horner, you mentioned earlier, was one of them. But I've had so many great partners that I thought wanted what was absolutely best for me and my family. And Lane has had the opportunity to show that he, he feels the exact same way. And, that, and that's how I feel about him. That's incredible. I think you bring up a, a few great points there in talking about separating talent and skill, right? Talent kind of just being your general yes, ability sir. and skill being your ability to adapt and truly do the finite things that make you good. And I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you talk about communication, right? If you guys aren't on the same page, then, then none of this even matters because you, you won't be successful, right? You'll be butting heads the whole season. And, Correct. And with that, Drew Horner was very complimentary of your guys' relationship in the 2013 season, and he talked a lot about accountability. And, and you know, there were times you had to hold him accountable for things and vice versa. And Absolutely. I, and I think accountability can be a touchy subject, right? Because telling somebody they shouldn't be doing something or they should be doing something else could be a problem, but as you explained with you and you and Ivy, being honest with each other, being open and receptive to criticism or feedback or a different person's point of view is really where a team starts to gel. God, I couldn't tell you how many times there were fights in locker rooms, you know, growing up playing baseball because guys didn't see eye to eye and they're trying to approach that topic of accountability with a teammate, you know, so it, yes, it plays a huge role in in being honest, being upfront and I think the huge, the biggest separation in all of it is your guys' genuine investment in, in each other's success. You know, not taking it personal if he wants to pick up another partner for a rodeo here or there or, or having that constant open dialogue of, where hey, where are we at right now? Where do we want to be and what is it going to take to get there? I agree 100%. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think about a locker room brawl, so to speak, um, is, is it, it's almost always the initiator of that is almost always looking from a selfish perspective. They're not, they're not looking from the team perspective, trying to benefit the team. And I'm never, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that um, there's never a position that things get, get ugly for the benefit of the team. But I think regularly when it's that disorganized, it's an individual who feels like either, either a, he didn't get the spotlight or, or B, his buddy had something go better for him than, than his buddy deserved, so to speak. And uh, that position is, is you're exactly right. And accountability is so huge in any, in any team sport or 
whichever direction we want to go. And the main thing that uh, I think we all, you know, we all have to look at ourselves prior, you know, the, the Bible talks about the speck and the moat. We have to, we have to check our eye for the moat prior to checking someone else's for the speck. Um, and it's often the moat in our eye that, that magnifies the speck in theirs. You know, we have a problem in our lives and we see something small in someone else's. So we want to convict them of it. Um, as a distraction to ourselves sometimes, but but you're absolutely right, and, and accountability plays a huge role, and and knowing where knowing where your your partner or your teammate or whatever direction he is, you know, just your your friend, you know, uh, a brother in Christ is at spiritually is is so huge, you know, because obviously just because you're a you're a number seven roper. That doesn't mean that you're a number seven in the kingdom, nor nor does it mean that you're a number number ten or a number one. You know, you you could be you could be strictly on a on a diet of milk, so to speak, from from kingdom terms. Whereas in 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 roping or in business or whatever, you may be at the top, and, and then vice versa. I know, I I would say I believe, but I absolutely know that God put us here um, where we're at for a reason, you know, this, this conversation is divine. And, uh, so are so many more. And the, the point I make there, you know, the whole point is, is that, uh, we're very much on a journey through life and, um, the, the people that we interact with, I think, I think it's always important. And, you know, the, the trash man may have the, the answer to the solution for the, for the business guru. If he was, uh, available, you know, emotionally and, and mentally to, to get it. But but more often than not, he's, he's going to give him a polite wave on the way by and, and go talk to, to one of his other business guru buddies, which, and I'm not, not trying to discredit that. I just think that, man, there's so much to learn in life. Absolutely. And, and for me, that's been a pursuit in this podcast is that you use the analogy of the trash man and the businessman. I think as human beings, right, we all struggle at different points in our life. We're not immune to adversity. We're not immune to challenges. Life isn't always easy. And and sometimes we get buried or caught up in our own issues or problems or concerns, whatever they may be. But another individual's perspective on our situation might be just enough information to kind of tip those scales, right, and get us back on track. So what's been fun for me and, and an absolute blessing is being able to to talk to everybody Every single one of my guests is is involved in the Western industry on varying levels and varying disciplines, but to hear the wide variety of perspective in, in essence, overcoming the one topic of adversity, you know, there's plenty to be learned from everybody. And it's just, ha- like you said, having, having the humility and, and being honest with yourself and being able to step back and say, hey, no matter where we're at in our lives, let's say on a social spectrum or a financial spectrum, uh, there's value in everybody's life and everybody's opinions. Granted, they're coming from a genuine source and a genuine perspective, you know. Yeah, and and I think the you know the position and and not to get not to get way off in in anyone else's struggle in life. I think the position that we take by nature is that whatever we're dealing with is the most is the single most difficult thing in the whole entire world. Absolutely, because it's our survival that's that's dependent on it. There you go. And so um, whether whether an individual is dealing with a, a loss of work, a loss of a relationship, a loss of a uh, loss of a pet, that is tragedy. And in the moment, 
you know, we're, we're blinded often by, by nature. Our physical man is naturally blinded by this adversity, whatever it, it may be. In literally every case that I've experienced in my life, and, and this is, this is not 100% biblical advice, so please seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but, but in almost every case, what I've found when I've been around an individual who was, who was depressed or who was, I don't want to compare depression and self-pity, but there are some correlations. I understand the difference, but in almost every case, what I have found is this individual's issues in life, their, their overall issues in life are how they feel about it. It's, it's, not a, it's not a spiritual, it's not a what can I do for other people. And, and I hate to get way off of, of the topic that we're on, but just something on my heart is, you know, when I, when I, hear, um, when I hear discussions and, and advertisement about suicide, I so I so often the first thing that comes to mind, um, and I've never been in this position, and I'm not trying to belittle any of that, but what comes to mind regularly is, man, did that did that individual have literally nothing to offer mankind, or did they even consider that? Did they even consider that they they had life left to live, and they chose to take themselves and all the good that they had away from from their fellow man? And, and I've dealt with some tragedy. I've dealt with some, some sad things in my life. Um, I've never, I can say, I've never considered suicide. And, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of radical that I would even talk about it. But in, in my mind, though, it's almost always looking inwardly. And it's something that, well, I just can't deal with this anymore. Or I can't deal with that anymore. And it's I, in, in many cases, I, I believe that's the direction versus saying, you know, what, what can I do for for you or for them or for others? And as I look out in tragedy, I, I always see an opportunity. I believe Father always provides us with an opportunity to distract ourselves from ourselves <laughs> and do something for others. And and that's that's just that's just something that that I that I see. You know, I see it in everything that we do. And when we're looking inwardly, there's a lot. There's a lot of negatives about Buddy. Believe me, I know all of Buddy's negatives, uh, but I'm sure you know all of Jason's negatives. Yes, and sir. The enemy Unfortunately, will, will <laughs> the enemy will put a mirror in front of me between me and what I can do for others, and say, "Hey, look at all the dirt on you. You don't have any business talking to this clean guy over here." You know, it's like a it's like a really really dark, grimy, gray screen between me and and others. And then, then though, on the on the other side of that, if I can realize I'm clean enough for the Father, then I'm I'm clean enough for the Father to work through me, and and He can take my dirty vessel and and wipe it clean and allow me to pour into others. You know, He'll filter it. But that's that's the whole point of of our walk in Christ. You know, He doesn't need us, so to speak, and and, and it's not that He doesn't need us at all, but. But it's that he he's going to make it work with or without me as an individual. But he wants me, and if he wants me, then I'm good enough to make his deal work. Absolutely, either get on board or get on the road. There you go. You know, buddy, it's funny that you you mentioned the the suicide route, and it's obviously uncomfortable for everybody to speak about. And I think the lion's share of society has been impacted by it in one way, shape, or form. 
Absolutely. Here's the incredible thing in it. So guest number one for us here at the podcast at Let Freedom Reign was an individual by the name of Jeremy Sveetser. Now, Jeremy is a combat deployed veteran. The atrocities of war took its toll on him. And he very, very openly and humbly explains his perspective of how he faced challenges and adversities and reassimilation with civilian life. And he was actually driven to the point of having a suicide plan. He, he, he describes himself as a ticking time bomb. It was just only a matter of time. And in listening to him explain his testimony and going through it, I think he provides an invaluable perspective because oftentimes it's carried out, right? And we never get to understand where right. that person was mentally. Whereas Jeremy has now survived it, right? And yep. he's doing incredible things. And Jeremy talked about feeling as though he was a burden to everybody around him. And you explaining your perspective on it, it was very similar to his, right? He felt like he was the problem, right? And he was a burden and he wasn't looking at the big picture and all the value that he could provide in life. And in no way is this a cheap plug on the the podcast, but if you do get a chance in driving down the road, go all the way back to episode one and listen to his perspective because what Jeremy has now done is, is he runs a nonprofit called Charlie Five. They're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he's preparing horses to be reassimilated in a lot of these veteran programs. And it's just incredible how he goes from explaining himself to being a ticking time bomb, where it was just a matter of seconds before he's going to knock the wick out in his own life, to now, I mean, the thousands of lives that he has touched and positively impacted and taken individuals under similar circumstances and experiences to his own and, and proven them successful and developed their own personal growth. And for him, it was just a, it was a perspective change. And in that episode, we elaborate a lot on what the horse has done for the human being. And, and maybe we can, we can tie some of that into your experience. As you've traveled your journey throughout life and and pro rodeo, you, you mentioned your faith and I know you're very strong in it, but how has, or has the horse, you know, played any kind of a role in your perspective and development and, and challenges and adversities and how you metabolize those? Well, absolutely, and and I think I can tie all this together um, almost seamlessly. And and the thing I'd say there, you know, speaking speaking of your uh, your friend and, and your first podcast, you know, the thing I would say there is is where did did your mother did your mother raise you, Jason? Yes, sir. And she found did she she found identity in motherhood. Correct. Nearly every mother finds identity in motherhood, and it's not it is not the fact that her children are going to be able to serve her that provides her with that identity. It's the fact that she's able to serve her children and her children are providing her that identity. If a mother loses her children, she loses a part of her identity. And what I find is, especially as men, and this is a direction that I see with, with PTSD and and a lot of trauma um, in, in society, not, not strictly military either. And I think that's a deal is a lot of people think, well, if you didn't see, if you didn't hold someone while they died, you don't understand PTSD or, or whatever. But, but the fact that I see a lot of times is that men are supposed to be dependable. They're not supposed to be dependent. And that we we have this role to play as America's man, that, that the world, you know, we carry the world on our shoulder, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but Christ is made strong in my weakness. I am dependent on him. Um, and in many times, other people find identity by their dependence. And when a dependent removes themselves, they're taking a part of that person's identity. And while we don't want to portray ourselves as as weak, that's our ego shining through. 
that's saying I don't I don't want to need these other people, so I am going to remove myself because I'm holding them back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And 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 I see I see that direction and I see that excuse, but that is all that is. That is that is an excuse. And and as I said, I, I really believe that is that is a little bit of ego and it's the way society is set up at, at this era of, of life is, you know, you're either a man's man or you're not. And, you know, a man's man doesn't doesn't want to come across as weak and doesn't want to come across as, as needy. It's not weak, but doesn't want to come across as needy. But that that I see there, um, we can roll that right into the horse thing. If, if I never ran another steer, I, I went through a, a I went through a time this year in 2018 season the first time since 2000 i decided i was i was done roping like like not that i would for sure never rope again but roping was not the priority at that at that point of this year and i laid my rope down and if i never ran another steer or never competed at another event rather i was 100% fine with that but the fact of that same thing is I never at one point considered I'm going to sell all my horses and not have horses anymore because at the same time that my horses are dependent on me, I have a dependency on <laughs> them depending on me. You know, it, it's, a, it's an exchange. And many times the American male looks at it as, like I said, is, is they want to be dependable and they do not want to be a dependent. And, um, I, I see the horse deal the same thing as, as my horses depend on me, I depend on them. And, and I can very much say, you know, and, and I think everyone, everyone that's done the horse deal, everyone that's had horses and been around horses, um, you know, I love how it's the quote, um, I want to say it's chicken soup for the horse lover or however that goes, but it, it says, you know, the best thing for the inside of a man is the outside of a horse. And uh, I think that, you know, that, that I'm not a real mushy, poetic type guy, but it does strike a, strike a, a note in me of, you know, we are, we are very much, well, we do, we, we grow in dependency for our animals and, and what they provide. And, and, you know, the biggest thing about it, I think, is that our horses are 100% genuine. They're 100% direct. Um, they have they have what some books would call a cleaner mentality. They do not stray from the goal at hand if they're hungry. Like my mare Daisy, for example, I've rode at the finals and stuff. When it's breakfast time, she will pace the fence and nicker until she eats. If I feed four hours late, she's going to pace the fence and nicker for four hours straight because she eats breakfast in the morning. That's That's the first thing on her schedule. She doesn't want to do anything else. You know, at the same time, like the horses that I that I have and haul with, we can go back to military. But you know, I wouldn't haul a horse, um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't depend on a horse that you know wouldn't wouldn't die for me. You know, as I've always said, you know, all the good horses, you know, I think a guy can ride them through fire because they they have that you know that that willingness. Um, they don't assess risk as well as we do as as humans, and I guess it's probably because they don't sit around talking about it all the time. But they will, you know, whether whether they're having a good day or a bad day, whether they're sore or sound, um, they get up and go to work every day. I think that that is a lot of what where where horses are for me is, you know, they're they're 100 percent genuine, straightforward and, and honest. Um, and, and I see a lot of uh, 
I see a lot of God in horses, you know, um, because they don't have ulterior motives necessarily. And I, I've mentioned it before on this podcast, and I've shared it with thousands of people. I truly believe in my heart of heart that God has placed the horse on earth to teach mankind how to better live their lives. And when you mm-hmm. talk about a horse's honest approach and, and their, their genuine pursuit of whatever goal it may be, let's take a, any kind of physical skill or ability that we're working on with a horse, you know, whether it's a lead change or picking it up cleaner or more collected or softer, whatever. Whenever I work on something with a horse... I oftentimes realize it's something that I need to be working on myself, you know, whether it be mm-hmm. patience or kindness or firmness or fairness or any attribute that you need to put together to work towards a physical common goal that you and your horse have. And I think if we could grow, we as human beings could grow in in our awareness of what the horse offers us, I mean, I think we'd be light years ahead of where we're at today. Absolutely. Right now, I think it's an exciting time to be involved in the industry because there's been so many perspective changes on the advantages of the horse and what the horse can do for the human. Um, we're now starting to kind of gain momentum or we're in the infancy of that that perspective. But for me, it's been incredible to here I am thinking I'm making the horse better when in fact you take a step back and have that 30,000 foot view of it. The horse is in fact making me better. Absolutely, and I think you you light on something there. You know, our our calling, our heart's desire, whatever you want to call our our free will slash the spot that we find peace in life uh, is, I think the you know so much of it is about us as as that individual. You know, and and what do you need? You know, Drew Horner and I had a talk one time about, you know, he and I were were born and raised in in good Christian families and how our testimony was was basically like, you know, well, I was my earliest memories are going to church and, you know, my earliest memories are are Sunday school and being saved and this and that. We have friends and family whose earliest memories are, are, are sad. You know, they're they were abused or taken advantage of or, um, you know, they, they were in bad situations as young people and, you know, and all of this and, and how, you know, at, at times it's almost like, it's almost like you hear that testimony and you're like, man, that's so cool that at 14 years old, you know, you had seen nothing but darkness, so to speak, in life. But, you know, you chose, you went out and found your own light and chose the light and then whatever, and that's your testimony and how. Um, then on the flip side of that same thing, you know, we're so, we are so privileged, so blessed to have the opportunity to be raised in a, in a, in a Christian household and what have you. And, and the level of expectation, though, that we have for ourselves a lot of times has to do with, well, I have no excuse for this emotion or, or that thing or, or whatever. And, and the point I guess I'm trying to get to, uh, sounds like chasing rabbits, but the point I'm trying to get to is how, how God puts exactly what each of us needs in our life for that, for that time of our life. Um, and I love the quote. My mom has a placard that says, uh, it's, it's, it's titled God's Timing, and it says, God is never early, he's never late, and he never runs out. And the thing I think that's so cool about that is I never in my life until I really thought about that, I never thought about God not being early, but early timing of the correct amount of the correct thing could be a curse and not a blessing. But 
perfect timing of the perfect amount of the perfect thing is perfect timing. And it's just so interesting to consider, you know, how, how God, the, the things that, that we have in our lives, um, whether it be peace, joy, love, grace, mercy, um, all these things that God provides us with, um, they're not going to show up before we need them um, or they'd be unappreciated. They'll show up at the perfect time. There will be plenty of it, um, and, and they're going to stay as long as we need it. And, and I think, like you said, you know, we see so much stuff, you know, stuff in the horse. And then I relate, you know, occasionally the negatives that I see in an animal. I relate that very much to some of the things that God deals with with me. You know, when when I'm not being soft, I'm not being supple, I'm, I'm counter-cantering and reverse-arcing the, the opposite direction and running from <laughs> running from the yeah, good thing. From the challenge of adversity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and he's like, man, I want you to I want you to grow through this. Don't just go through it. I want you to grow through it. You know, and I think in my perspective and reflection of God's timing, I absolutely agree. Right, His timing is perfect. I think the disparity takes place in our expectations as human yep. beings. Right, absolutely. The timing is perfect. The timing is pure. The timing is exactly what we need based on God's perspective we fall short as a human being or as mankind because we want it now or we're not yep. con- we're not convenienced by the time that it shows up yep. right and and i think that goes back it it's it's a perspective that that can apply to faith it can apply to horses it can apply to our careers you know sometimes we have to step back and i can't say live life nonchalantly and just kind of let the chips fall you know where they lay but we have to be cognizant of you know, are we putting too much pressure on ourselves? Do we need to step it up, right? It's the human expectation that sometimes provides unnecessary intervention on a circumstance or a situation. And I think oftentimes in facing adversities and challenges and struggles in life, we try to find the answer why, right? Why is this happening yeah. to me? Why did this happen right now? How come it didn't happen to exactly. somebody else? What have I done to create this? And yeah. I think we have to have the biblical discipline to remove ourselves from the situation, be cognizant or understanding of it, accepting of it, and work as hard as we can towards whatever resolution is laid on our heart. Last week's guest, Alex Owen, talked about just an absolutely traumatic experience where he was sexually assaulted from the ages of four to eight years old by a babysitter. And at one point in his conversation, he talks about being fortunate that that circumstance had taken place in his life because it had shaped the man that he is today. You know, and that level of trauma is something that can completely bury somebody for the rest of their life. Now, fortunately for him, God graced him with the ability to learn from it. But I think that approach is something we could all learn from, right? We're all going to get kicked between the legs sometimes, right? And we're all going to get kicked while we're down. But understanding that God does have a mission for us, God does have a purpose for the circumstance, there's going to be a lesson that comes from it. Right. In having that patience and grace with ourselves, I think we could find resolution a lot quicker than we do, rather than just hunting it out, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Two, two things I've learned recently, and, and I'm, you know, the, my walk with Christ is very much like my walk with horses, and I, cor- I, I correlate those, you know, the the more I learn, the more I realize I have yet to learn. And, and you know, the the one thing is that um, I believe a lot of times in, in the Christian faith, we have a slight misconception that um, everything that happens to me is 
um, a direct result of my perspective, and and it, it is a direct result of my perspective, but it's a direct result of my actions, my thoughts, my sin, or my righteousness, and essentially that when I'm blessed with a million dollars, it's it's that's from God, and and it's a result of of me doing good or repenting of sin, and that when I have zero dollars in the bank account. Well, that's a direct result of, of me either either continuing to sin or or failing to repent or, or whatever. And the direction I want to go with that is I believe that we have a misconception that we are never affected by the sins of others, um, and and that's just that's just sadly un, untrue. I believe we are very much affected by the sins of others um, from a from a physical and emotional and mental standpoint. But what I what I do not believe is I do not believe that sins of others have a direct effect on us spiritually, and that's where, like the guest you're speaking of, that's where I see, you know, he's able to to distinguish that yes, this was physical, emotional, and mental, and to say he carries zero scars from that would be unbelievable. But what what we can believe is that God took what happened to his emotions and his physical body and his mentality that God took that and, and turned it around for spiritual growth. And if at any point in my life I can sacrifice my mind and my body for my spirit, um, I would do that in a heartbeat. And, and that's how that's how God works. You know, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and dark places. So um, to, to spin that around, and then the next thing there is then why. Um, and, you know, there's a study, and I, I can't remember the term of the study. There's a study of why bad things happen to good people and and you know the reason for that is free will it's that that god set in motion the opportunity for us to make decisions and my decisions affect me and others directly i believe um but but what i also believe is that well i say i believe i know i know that all things I know that I, I'm not in this life going to be able to facilitate an understanding for exactly why everything happens, um, aside from the fact that it all happens for the glory of God. And to say that, that a sexual assault happens for the glory of God, it, it did not happen because of God. God does not cause all things to happen, but he causes all those negative things to work together for the good of, disclaimer here, those that love him and those that are called according to his purposes. And so in some cases, I believe those terrible things that happen actually benefit no one. They do not benefit the assault, the assaulter nor the assaultee. But in a case that either of those, even the assaulter, loves God and, and is called according to his purposes, even the fact that they assaulted someone else can can be used in the kingdom to, to benefit. And, and that sounds really distorted from where most of our, our church services and most of the Christian faith would be. You know, we would we would say a, a pedophile needs to burn in hell. And the fact is, God just loves us that much. He, his heart is that big for us that, that he can He can even let that go um, if, if we are the, the assaulter. So the direction for me, what God's really revealed to me is that, you know, the, the, the reason that, that many of the terrible things happen is because man is flawed. You know, we live in a flawed world and we're a flawed man. But the the next level is that God can glory from each and every situation so long as, back to 
of the Romans 8.28, so long as we're functioning, you know, we're loving God and, and we're called according to his purposes. He can take my weakness and the things that I try to hide and, and keep to myself, he can take those and display his greatness through them. I, I can magnify him through the fact that I'm not perfect, but I have the answer to this question or, or I have the ability to help someone else in, in my weakness shows a level of love that, that is not seen in mortal man, that's only seen in, in spiritual spiritual strength. No, I think it's incredible. I mean, it just goes back to the testament that there's nothing greater than he, right? Absolutely. No matter what the challenge or adversity or success or, or whatever, you know, and if, and if people are naive to the fact, I think that sin has an influence on this earth. Yes, it is ever present and constantly working, but uh, never once will it be able to overtake the powers of our God. Absolutely. And, and the thing I... I see that you're you're 100% on is um, you know if we wanna if we wanna separate this we had a really neat Bible study when we were at the West Star Ranch in the Northwest this year Ellensburg Washington and um, several like-minded believers we just got together and had a Bible study all evening one one night and we got to talking about a perspective and, and here again seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling this isn't straight from the word but I had this I had this kind of word picture show up you know. You'll see a bumper sticker that says, you know, God is love. Well, we know God is love, but like, like, I, I just had this perspective just kind of come over me. Like, what if God is love? Like, what if love is God? Like, what if we worship and serve love? And I don't want to get super weird with it, but my point is, how do you distinguish between a believer and a non-believer love? How do you distinguish between someone you want to enter in a marital relationship with and, and someone that you don't, you know, love? How do you how do you gauge what you're willing to do for other people and what you're not? Well, that just has to do with how much love you have to express. Well, this is the extent of my love for this situation, for this individual, for this group. And so the fact is everything in life is going to come back to to love or the lack of love as as simple as that is um we're all out here trying to find peace and trying to share love or on the other hand some of us have have too much self-love myself included we all have too much self-love and so when it comes down to it do we love ourselves or or others more and in many cases we express our loves for ourselves first and we run out before we get to others i think it's it's absolutely true and i have found in my walk through life, not only with horses, that my life has been so much more rewarding once I dedicated my life to something greater than me. There you go. Our life is not our own. And that's where we get so confused is we have a tendency to believe that we have such a tendency to believe that God put me here for me and I'm here for as long as I can serve myself. And then when I'm done serving myself, I'll go on to, to heaven or hell, basically. And the fact is, it's the exact opposite of that, is I am here for anyone but myself. And at the same time, you know, um, I, I do believe that we are called to work and we're called to be successful and we're called to be a light. I don't think you can be a light when you're under a bushel, you know, but to each their own light. You know, I have I have friends that work on ranches and, and for a week at a time, they may be up in the mountains you know, taking care of stock and they won't, they won't even see someone, but their opportunity to be a light when they're around people is, is still there. And I, I believe they're called to that field where they deal with people a lot less. I deal with, with 
dozens and hundreds and through social media applications and things of that nature, thousands of people daily. Um, my, my life's just a little bit different than, than other people's. And I think that it's very clear that we're supposed to, you know, work heartily as to the Lord. So I think we are called to excel in business. I'm not saying that all you do is, is go around serving people. Some people are 100% called to serve while other people teach and preach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's absolutely that's absolutely right. I'm I'm not here for me though. Like like I'm I'm trying to build Buddy Hawkins. I'm trying to make, be a better roper. I'm trying to you know build a better brand. But but that's all just a platform to to show Christ in me. If I'm if I'm living correctly and if I'm not, um, then I'd rather then I'd rather not live. You know, to live is Christ dies gain. And the last thing I want to do is lead somebody astray. And absolutely, that's a driving force in this podcast. You know, I've had my own struggles and adversities and. And growth came from a, from it, and lessons were learned, and and this is I, I had no hopes or aspirations of being a podcast host. Heck, before this show even started, I couldn't even tell you the first thing about any of it, right? But uh, <laughs> it was placed yeah. in my path for his abilities and purposes. You know, I've now been able to bring on quite a few guests, and we're still in the emphases of this this show, and hopefully, it continues to grow, and we'll work at it as as long as it's a season of our life. Yep. But it's taking that culminations of lessons learned and putting it out in a platform in which it's more accessible to be able to influence other individuals. And and in talking with legacy and living for a greater purpose, I always use the analogy of baseball because it's common and familiar to me. Yeah, Everybody's role on a team is just as influential in the success of the big pitcher. It doesn't matter if you're a bullpen catcher or you hit 700 home runs in your career, right? At some point, you're going to be the guy that's asked to bunt. And at some point, you're going to be the guy that's asked to, to to dig in and hit a grand slam. Or even go a level, you know, I think about like a water boy or someone that serves a team to some Correct. capacity. You know, a trainer or a doctor. I mean, how much, how much of an yeah. influence does sports medicine have in rodeo exactly. athletes' careers, right? Those guys are never seen. Absolutely. And you go, you know, I heard one time the janitor is the most important guy in the building. He's the guy that has the key to every door. He's the guy you call when you've called everyone else and you can't get the job done. Yeah. And so much of the time, the janitor goes goes unrecognized. But, you know, the janitor knows everyone's deepest, darkest secrets, and he knows, uh, and he has the opportunity to influence everybody in a positive or negative way. You know, he can he can leave the place unbelievably clean and, and prepared for everyone to come in and do their job at, at said business, or he can do not such a great job, and he can have everybody showing up with their stuff misplaced and, and a mess on the floor, and and you know he he can he can control and and many times I think the way the way society the way natural man has created society is you know you're you're a level of person and you identify with what other people identify you as. I, I heard a quote that I think really applies to life in general, and it says, we don't act how we think we ought to act, nor do we act how other people think we ought to act, but we often act how we think other people think we ought to act. Yeah, how other people view us or should view us. And and that right there, if we can, if we can let that go and we can act how we think God wants us to act, then, then, we've, then we've hit it. We've yeah, hit that's, the, that's the perspective you know? that matters. You can go back WWJD, you know, and, and it was old slang and cliche, but like that's that's the truth. If we can, you know, what what Jesus would do is love. You know, he would love he would love the love into people. Um, you know, I, I was we were talking a little bit yesterday about love and hate and how 
you know, what if hate is like darkness? You know, darkness doesn't exist. There's either light or the absence thereof. You know, what if hate doesn't exist? We try to identify hate and, and allow hate a place in our life. Like, well, there's a little bit of hate here and a little bit of hate there. But what if we're just like, oh, man, that guy just lacks a little bit of love. That's why he has such a hard time driving through traffic. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, I'll tell you what, buddy, I definitely want to be respectful of your time because I know you're out there in, in Oklahoma and you got a, a roping to prepare for and some horses to, to get fixed up. Never once did I think I'd have an opportunity to talk to an NFR team roper when we'd end up anecdotally talking about janitors and their influence in a, in a business or a school, huh? <laughs> well, I, I think that they were exactly on the path that, that we're supposed to be on. And, and, you know, the big thing I see with, with life is, is exactly like we were saying earlier is there's no two there's no two relationships that are an accident there's no two paths crossed by by um by sheer uh, uh randomness i guess is, is the best word i could come about you know i i believe you know for for some people they they want to look at it as, as fate or destiny or whatever and you know it just, it's just very divine for me um i i love Speaking to people of like precious faith, who see things in, in a similar way, and I and I love just as much talking to people who see things in their own individual way, and they and they disagree with with where uh, where it is. But but what I am absolutely certain of is that we are we are put here for a reason to do to do something, and that if we all do the same something, then we're doing it wrong. So we we have to do our something, and it doesn't have to make sense to everyone else. It's nice if it does. It's easier if it does. But but I really appreciate the opportunity to be to be here and to be on this and to uh, uh, visit about about life and, and look forward to doing it again. Yes, sir. It's been an awesome experience, and and again, I'm very grateful for the the time and the perspective you have shared. Now, as we get towards the end of shows, I like to give guests the opportunity to kind of sell themselves if people whether it's social media or websites or trainings or clinics um, is there anything that you would like to share with with the freedom family and the guests that are out there listening man i i'm a yes man i do it all our industry is is such that you know i'm not making seven figures doing this so i ride and train for the public i i run a i run a uh, equine marketplace called quality team roping horses and and uh, I sell horses for myself and for the public. That's a very similar deal to what we've been talking about the whole time. Just a different, just a different direction. It, you know, the the thing I noticed was that only the elite guys had had opportunity to sell horses at retail in in my industry. And and so I've tried to share some of my um, advantages, so to speak, with with the public as far as I'll I'll sell I'll sell a uh, a amateur or novice level horse. Um, at at as close to retail as I can, so long as I believe in the animal and and I think they're safe. And so I do the equine marketplace. I do education. I'm I'm working as we speak on on some some educational and entertainment projects that that I'll I'll um, I'll expose in the in the near future. I hope. But uh, yeah, you know, I can I can be found on about any social media platform. I guess Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I'm not, I don't guess everyone knows about me, but, but the people that are supposed to know about me already do. Um, one thing I've learned in life is that if, uh, if you don't have it, you didn't need it. Um, Father, make sure we have exactly what we need for, for any given situation. And that goes, that goes with people, too. You know, uh, 
not not to stay stuck on that. But you know, if they're not in your life, you didn't you didn't need them. If you need them, they'd be there. And um, it's a very interesting perspective. But um, you know, so so uh, in in direction for myself, I don't really have any plugs to make. But but I love people. I love the opportunity to work with people. My number one passion in the sport is helping people achieve what what they want to do and then and then secondary to that is is the is the horses and the competitive side of that for me but i love i love helping other people whether it be with their rope or their horse or or whatever that's something i'm passionate about and i love doing clinics and educating good stuff buddy any final thoughts or life motto perspectives you'd like to share with anybody before we wrap up yeah, I'd say the the closing perspective. Something I, I get number one question I get from young people all the time is is how do I know God's will for my life? You know, how do you know that, that God's will was for you to to rope and to rodeo and to chase this lifestyle? And and how do you justify it? You know, in in some ways it seems like a a very secular, uh, selfish perspective. And and the the direction is you know from the outside looking in, people are confused. You know, I'll go anywhere from 120 to 150 events a year um and and you know i work at it i I had a friend tell me one time uh he was talking about playing professional soccer and i asked him you know you know when you're playing professional soccer i said do you you practice every day or you know how often did you practice and and the gentleman didn't speak a ton of english but but he just shared he said well some days we would practice one time a day some days we would practice two times a day but we didn't practice zero times a day. Correct. And the thing I think that, that's neat about that, uh, and, and to each their own, I think the same thing. You've got to seek out your own salvation. You've got to rest. You've got to serve your family and serve your serve your father and, and all of that. But but what I find in, in, the, in, in this whole deal is um, what we're all looking for is peace in life. I think about life very much like, like uh, mining. And, you know, a miner... Um, they go to seek gold and they'll dig and they'll dig and they'll dig and they'll find a vein or they'll find, they may even find a, a deposit that is typical in a, in the area around where gold may be. And when they find that deposit, then they start, they start digging around that deposit, following that deposit to the gold, to the vein of gold that they're looking for. And then when they find the vein of gold, they'll obviously exhaust that vein. They'll just continue to dig in that region until they believe they've got all the gold out of that. Well, well, in, in my mind, my perspective, my heart is that we're, we're all looking for peace in life. That, that's all any of us are looking for is peace. God is the author of peace, and the enemy is the author of chaos. And when we're dealing with chaos, we have to very directly seclude that and say this is of the enemy this has nothing to do with god this has nothing to do with faith and and we're going to flee from it avoid it we're not in in fact maybe don't even give that any identity but but what we do need to identify with is peace and we're mining for peace and as we find that vein of peace and or gold we need to to continue to mine in that region and we need to continue to head in that region and if rodeo roping horses Whatever activity, if that's not bringing you a level of peace, if that's not making life more simple and it's not making sense of life, that's not your spot. But but if that is, if that is peaceful and that is that is blessing you and it is making life essentially making life more simple versus making life more chaotic, then then that's of the Father and that's the region you're supposed to be in. And and that's how I always clarify, not not every single person 
can go into law enforcement or military. Not every single person can be a janitor or a lawyer. Not every single person can be a be a team roper for a living. It doesn't. We, life doesn't function like that. We need convenience store clerks so that we we can pull in and get fuel and 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 buy a package of gum. We need people that are passionate about every walk of life. And and there's nothing wrong. People oftentimes. You know, it's an entry-level job, and I'm going to work my way up to such and such. If that's where you have peace, good for you. But but very much, in, in closing, I just very much want to say, you know, if you have peace with X, Y, or Z, that, that's the answer. That's the direction that God's drawing you. That's what we're following. And, and if you don't, if you don't have peace in the degree that you're pursuing, you really need to seek God out and, and see why. Because I'm not saying that you have to make a lifestyle change just because you don't have peace. Maybe it's relationship-oriented. Maybe it's perspective. Maybe it's just too much selfishness in your life that's causing the chaos. But, you know, I think we're all out here mining for peace. And and the better job we can do of that, um, the more peace we're going to find. That's incredible stuff. And I appreciate your time and your perspective and and your reflections. It's been an extremely valuable episode. And I'll tell you what, I got enough notes over here on my notepad to probably go on for another six or eight hours. So we'll probably have to line up Buddy Hawkins in a second or third interview at some point because... I'm excited to see how the, the finals go for you. I know you got a lot of endeavors in the hole for yes, you and, and, and that you're going to be here releasing here pretty soon. So if you don't mind, maybe we'll touch base down the road, yeah? Yeah, I love that. I'd, I'd be happy. We, need to make it a, we can make it a regular occurrence, uh, the privilege to get to be on here, and I hope, hope people get something out of it. Yes, sir. Well, buddy, I sure appreciate your time, and, and thanks again for everything, and good luck with the finals here in the next couple of weeks, and, and we're looking forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks so much, Jason. Have a good one. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.